Hello, and thank you for listening to Roots and Wings, a podcast produced by the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth. I'm Jonquil Newland, the director of Kids Central TN. Have you hit a breaking point? Have your kids or spouse hit their breaking point? Many of us have likely felt a wave of stress or anxiety over the past several weeks as we all deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. Classes let out in mid-March and most students will not go back to school this academic year, all while parents, guardians, and family members are doing their best to work at home and entertain kids who are likely about to jump off the cliff of boredom. Not to mention, we know there are many families in Tennessee whose jobs have been greatly impacted by the pandemic and they're struggling to feed their family from day to day. Now this can be very overwhelming for many, and that's okay. On this episode, we're going to discuss how the pandemic has impacted our mental health. Melissa Binkley with the Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services is the program director for the Regional Intervention Program. Melissa, thank you so much for being a guest on Roots and Wings today. Thanks for having me. We are, as we kind of were talking before we were recording, we're now hitting uh, the end of month two of quarantining, and you brought up a nice phrase, Quarantine fatigue, because I know I'm feeling it, Melissa, but let me just ask, how are you doing? Oh, thanks for asking. Uh, I think I feel the same stresses that anybody does. I have a toddler at home, and my husband and I are both considered essential workers, so we feel some of those stresses of um, being outside the home and trying to support our families, Um, and, you know, losing some of those regular connections that are so important to every family, I think. I'm experiencing a lot of those similar things to others. I think now more than ever, we're being reminded just as humans, we, our brains crave human to human contact. And even if you thought you were the most introverted introverted person ever, now you're probably like, all right, I could see some people. It's, it'd be okay. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that, Melissa. Um, as the program director for the Regional Intervention Program, I know you work very closely with families and small children specifically. How are, how are you keeping in contact with the families who are enrolled in the REP or RIP program, for lack of better words, and what has their feedback been through all of this? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, a lot of our programming for young children, youth, and families has been impacted because we do a lot of it in person. Um, we've done as much as we can to take it online. Um, we're doing some parent training for some of our parents that are Um, regrettably going to be on the wait list for a lot longer than we had initially anticipated. Um, We're doing some telehealth visits, which is completely new to my staff and probably most of our families. We're running virtual support groups um, and doing case management online. And all of those connection points are completely optional to families, which has always been the case. Our services are optional, but so many have reached out with interest to continue. And, you know, at first that really surprised me. Um, I mentioned I have a toddler at home. I know that this is a crazy time. Um, you know, parenting small children is hard without a pandemic, um, and everyone has a lot going on. But I think, kind of speaking to what you just identified, um, that need for connection is strong, um, and we've been able to provide a place for families to find connection. Um, and a lot of our early childhood, youth, and young adult programming has been a place for families to do that as well. Before we really kind of speak more into that, Melissa, I do want our listeners to understand exactly the services that the Regional Intervention Program provides. Um, Because I know through Kids Central Teen, we've been sharing a lot about this program specifically. As you mentioned just now, like a lot of young kids are at home, a lot of parents are working, and all of a sudden they're not in school, so the parents having to parent and work and then deal with behaviors. Mm -hmm. 
first, can you just tell us a little bit more specifics about the Regional Intervention Program? Sure, I'd love to. I love to talk about this program. <laughs> um, we are an early childhood behavioral health program, and we support young children under six and their families who are experiencing challenging behaviors um, to better address those behaviors and become healthier families. Um, we see a pretty wide range of behaviors here, everything from um, whining, um, tantrums, aggressions, to more concerning things that might be um, affecting a child's placement in child care um, or a parent's ability to keep working because of that child's placement in child care. Um, really anything that's become an issue um, to continue a family's regular way of connecting, um, mm. we can be a place for them to attend and learn some new skills and abilities to help support their children. We call ourselves a parent-implemented, professionally-supported program. So everything we do here has this vein of parents learning how to work with their own children. Mm -hmm. um, more than half of my staff are graduated parents from the program themselves. And so we're able to offer this language of, I know what you're going through, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I haven't done myself. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful, very special thing that this program offers. I think a lot of times, too, Melissa some families may be hesitant to reach out for state resources because they fear they may be judged. Mm -hmm. They fear strangers coming into their home. Um, what can you tell people in regards to that? I'm sure you probably have those same concerns as well as far as the families who you work with too. Sure. Um, I think what we hear from parents a lot is that when they arrive at RIP, they just immediately feel the sense of being not alone anymore. Um, behavior can isolate families. It makes it hard to go to the grocery store. It makes it hard to go to the park. It makes it hard to go and spend time with even your family. Um, and so we become a place that's a soft landing place for those families. They're able to build community um, together um, and support each other through some of those challenging behaviors. And I think a lot of our families are just really desperate for that connection. Um, I'd encourage anyone who's feeling kind of on the fence to come visit, take a tour once we're open again and have <laughs> real people in this place. Uh, our tours are led by families in the program, and so you really get a sense of what that connection and community building looks like when you come here. And folks, if you don't know, the RIP program is now housed in a beautiful brand new building Yeah, that really hasn't seen many people at all <laughs> because of the um, pandemic is that correct yeah, yeah we moved into this space on march 16th and um it was just devastating to send everybody home the next day um, and we haven't been back here since so uh, we can't wait to open our doors again to families obviously in a responsible way yeah. um, but when that time comes we'll just be thrilled to throw the door open I know it probably will give everyone a new sense of motivation as well. And hopefully families coming in will be like, wow, because I was impressed. I'm impressed walking in here. Back to the conversation at Hamilis. I know you've been in contact, of course, with a lot of the families through the pandemic. What has their feedback been in regards to how they've been impacted by this COVID-19 or coronavirus pandemic? I think some of the challenges that they've identified will resonate with a lot of people. Um, they said things like not having a physical or mental break from their own children. That one really resonated for me. Um, keeping children occupied while also attempting to work from home. Um, keeping to routines and schedules that they've set up along the way. And also just that real sudden loss of access to people who provide respite, whether that be grandparents, friends, schools, and child care that have closed. That's really hard. Mm -hmm. um, but they've also described some surprising things. So some of them have actually enjoyed working from home. Um, 
Some of them say that their children seem happier, that they've been able to bond and spend time with their families over meals or outdoors or playing games, um, and that that emotional support and kindness that they're really seeking out has always been available when they've needed it most. Um, I think what we're hearing from our youth sometimes is that they may be expected to be really comfortable with this new virtual world that we're living in, and then all of a sudden they find that they're really, really missing that in-person connection. Definitely. You know, you think about the class of 2020, high schoolers across the nation right now, and college students too. Um, but, you know, for high schoolers, that is such a milestone. Mm-hmm. And for them to just not have any of that, no graduation, no prom, um, a close family member of mine, it's her graduation year and she's going through it. Let me just say that. Mm-hmm. Bless your guys' heart. If you're class of 2020, anybody's listening, my my, feeling, my heart goes out to you guys because I know you guys are going through it as, as well. Well, talking about mental health in, in general terms, Melissa, can you explain what so many families around the entire world right now um, might be going through because of this? Some of the words that RIP families used to describe this time for them were challenging, scary or fearful, stressful, exhausting, vulnerable, frustrating. Um, I think there has been a lot of conversation around this grief aspect of collective trauma and what you just said, Jonquil, about the loss of those treasured or anticipated milestones, that's real grief. Mm-hmm. Um, not being able to go to a wedding or have your wedding that you have been planning and looking forward to, not being able to go to a graduation that you've worked so hard towards, um, a birth, you know, not being able to have your parents there to support you. Um, some of that loss is related to just regular day-to-day stuff, being able to take your kid to school and catch a break, being able to go to a restaurant for dinner, being able to um, grab a $3 cup of coffee. And I think that's something that I miss sometimes. Um, <laughs> but then there's also this bigger grief too. Um, there are people who are grieving right now who have lost loved ones um, and haven't been able to mourn in a traditional way. So we're not even able to have funerals the way that um, we should be able to have them. Um, and so those grief, that grief spectrum runs from the little things of, you know, just not being able to run out and grab a quick bite to eat with a friend um, to those really big, heavy um, loss of a loved one, a close family member. Um, there's also this aspect of increased stress and anxiety, which can look different for everybody. So someone who is at home may be struggling with living in close quarters. They may be experiencing new or worsening financial stresses um, in their family if they've lost their job. Um, they might be juggling multiple and competing work, school, and childcare priorities in a small space or even a big space. Um, there are also maybe those who are essential workers um, who are working outside the home and dealing with the stress and anxiety of bringing home potential contagions to people that they love um, and also losing access to those regular supports potentially because they um, are working outside of the home and other people don't feel comfortable around them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that I've heard that really stuck with me um, on another webinar that I participated in was this phrase that we're all in the same storm, but we have different boats. Um, so we're all experiencing this collective event, but the resources that we have at our disposal look very different. Um, and this is all happening in the context of a family. So some families may have been struggling financially even before. Some people have more might have more physical space than others. Um, and families who maybe function perfectly well in normal times may even be struggling to parent well right now. And so that can lead to some heavier things like the potential for neglect or abuse within those families. And because of that, we anticipate kind of a wide range of long-term mental health impacts over time. 
But I think it's important to let people know, too, that there is this process of rupture and repair. So even though families might be going through difficult things right now, there is always room for repair. And that recovery can lead to potentially even a more nurturing relationship. So I mentioned some of the hard words that parents said they were experiencing right now, but some of the other words that they shared with us were that this time was uplifting, enlightening, bonding, revealing. And that may not have been how they felt at first, but maybe over time some have been able to adapt to these circumstances in different ways and find moments of joy even amidst the heaviness of it all. As you were talking about that, Melissa, my mind was going to a lot of the things that we at the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth talk about in regards to ACEs and toxic stress Mm -hmm. and building resiliency. And it feels like a lot of that kind of got smashed into a really small time period so far. I mean, this might be going on for the next couple of years. Um, But it's we're all dealing with this. As as you you mentioned, Melissa, we're all kind of dealing with this. And especially for, for either adolescents, even older, young adults even, it's okay to not feel okay. I think people really need to, to f- know that. I mean, would you, say, would you back that up, I guess, Melissa? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of us, uh, I can speak to it from a personal level, are used to kind of being the one who's okay. You know, I'm usually okay. Um, and you have good days and bad days through this, and that's okay too. You know, yeah. you can be okay through a lot and then have a bad day, and you can bounce back from that. I think that's the idea of the rupture and repair. Yeah. Well put. I know everyone, uh, we've, we already mentioned two months in, we're, we're hitting that quarantine fatigue, and everyone is really eager to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. But our normal is going to look very different from what it did before this pandemic. How can families and young children, teens, youth, adolescents, how can they all adjust to what this new normal will be? So I've been calling it a now normal because it feels like what's new and normal is different maybe every other week. Sometimes every couple of hours something new comes up and changes how we're supposed to interact with the world. And those shifting sands um, are really hard to grasp. I think we all have a real human need for predictability and stability. And because of that, something you could do for yourself or your family is institute those small rituals and routines that are predictable. We talk about responsive routines around here. Um, and that means that you set up a routine that is responsive to what you need in that moment. And so it might be a little thing like how you start your morning or how you wrap up your day, um, a conversation, a story you read, a uh, opportunity to sit down and have a meal together if you have that possibility in your day. Um, But I think those little things that are responsive to what your family needs in that time can start to provide some of that predictability and stability that are so important. Um, The other thing that I would encourage families to do is create space for their children to process how they're feeling. Um, Talking about it in a way that's developmentally appropriate, of course. Young children process a lot through play. So making space for them to play, to ask questions, to think about things, and then being very clear and direct um, and developmentally appropriate when you talk about what's happening. Um, You can use social stories. There's lots of resources out there for um, how to talk about why people are wearing masks or why we can't go to school um, or why we can't see grandma and grandpa in person right now. Um, There's also things for older children to do that might be um, journaling. I heard, I think on another podcast, a parent say that he had given his two um, middle childhood children a journal to use and told them that this is a historic time and the things that they write down are things that their grandchildren are going to want to hear. Um, And so that was an opportunity for them to write down the way they're feeling, write down what's happening from day to day, um, and process through that a little bit. Um, Children are pretty savvy. 
And so pretending that nothing's going on um, has the potential to lead to some bigger issues down the road. Acknowledging those emotions and that they, the things they might be feeling is really important right now. I, I think one of the things I want to encourage families to do too is use whatever's at your disposal to connect with people that you miss. Um, whether that be technology or good old-fashioned writing letters, um, encouraging your children to do that as well. My 18-month-old has become an excellent video chatter. He is so good at it. Um, he knows how to connect. And, and my parents, my husband's parents, have done a really great job of being interactive with him via video chat. It's been really beautiful to watch that relationship be able to continue even though we can't be together in person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I also think along those same lines, there are some things that have arisen now that I think families um, can be hopeful of continuing. So some of the things that our family shared with us that they want to keep doing are implementing some boundaries in their lives to sustain this kind of slower, more intentional lifestyle that's emerged for them, having family meals, having family meetings, having open communications. Some said even with their teenagers, without technology getting in the way has been really special. Um, and one family even shared that they've begun taking virtual piano lessons. So opportunities to enrich our lives that we haven't taken the time to slow down and do before um, is finding those opportunities to um, use that now normal in a way that benefits us going forward. I really appreciate you saying that, Melissa, the now normal, especially because, um, yeah, this is this is not going to go back to what we consider normal, um, possibly ever. Uh, it's it's going to be a long time. And I think especially I liked how that you talked about because we as a culture have gotten so used to, in my opinion, just going so fast and getting things done so quick. And just, I mean, it's a bam, 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 bam. And then when you're really forced to have to like slow down and, and really kind of evaluate the speed at which you're living your life. Um, you realize your things are falling through the cracks in places maybe they shouldn't have been. And, and then you can kind of focus on those, mm -hmm. definitely. All right, so one of my last questions I wanted to get to today, Melissa, I know this is a lot to think about, and we're going to be dealing with this, as I've mentioned, for a long time to come. But as a mental health professional, what would be your advice for families who recognize that they may be struggling with, with their mental health during this time? Um, but may not necessarily have the courage or have ever had the need before to ask for help and therefore might not want to. But what would be your advice? So you said a few minutes ago that it's okay that you're not okay and it's okay to share that with others. Um, and I asked our families what they would want to tell other families and they said that. They said, you're not alone. Your best might look different from day to day and that's okay. They said there are so many people thinking of you from day to day and they stand ready to help. Um, you just have to ask. One of our RIP strategies is to know what's reasonable. And that doesn't mean just for children, that means for us as grown-ups too. Um, so knowing what, if I'm asking something that's reasonable of myself is important. And because of that, also giving yourself grace. If today didn't go as planned, we can start over tomorrow. I can ask for forgiveness for my children for um, not acting the way I maybe wanted to. I can ask for forgiveness for my partner or whoever's supporting me in my childcare for acting in a way that I would like to revise the next day, right? Mm -hmm. Families have probably heard more about self-care than they have ever heard before. Um, I think self-care gets this rap of, you know, take an hour to yourself away from everyone and do a yoga or, you know, 
practice your piano, I guess, or, you know, anything that kind of gives you that personal joy. Um, And not everybody has the space to be able to do that. It can sound like a real luxury when you think about self-care that way. And so what I want to encourage folks is to think about self-care not just as a thing, but as kind of a way of being. So setting boundaries, knowing what's a reasonable ask of yourself, and recognizing when you need to put something down and try again later, all of those things are also self-care. And those are things that you don't need space or time or money to be able to do. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's really come forward in this time is the rise of telehealth. And I think it's one of those kind of blessings in disguise, maybe, um, that we have this opportunity and so many providers are making appointments via distance now. And so one of the things that often get, makes it hard to seek outside help, seek counseling, is just plain lacking the time. I mean, I can relate to that. I think a lot of people can. Um, and this might help. So I encourage people to check in with their healthcare provider um, or, if available, with their employer's EAP, Employee Assistance Program, um, to seek some resources in terms of what might be available um, for mental health for ourselves and our families um, at a distance. And beyond that, if those aren't available to families, there are all kinds of resources. So the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration is a federal organization, and they have a National Disaster Distress Helpline. Um, that phone number is 1-800-985-5990. It's available 24-7 um, to offer support to families who might be feeling sudden waves of stress or anxiety in this time. There is also the Office of Consumer Affairs Helpline through our department, the Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, which is available during the week, Monday through Friday, from 8 to 4.30, and that phone number is 1-800-560-5767. We also have a crisis line um, through the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, which is 855-CRISIS-1. That's 855-274-7471, and I can provide all those resources to you, and hopefully y'all can post them for families after our conversation. Definitely, Melissa. Thank you so much. I think this will help give people um, a nice little, you know what, what I've been going through, what I've been feeling, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's, we're going to move on and hopefully, you know, the best foot forward one day at a time, folks, that's really all you can do in a time like this. This is all like, you've mentioned it and I've said it a million times, I'm sure before, but this, we're all living through history right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is new for everybody. So it's going to feel different for everybody as well. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Melissa. And thank you to our listeners. This has been another episode of Roots and Wings. I'm Jonquil Newland.